now. Pray to Mary. It's a sin. Don't doubt her. Not to witness this in theaters. This is the work of the devil. Do you hear the voice? Shh. The unholy. Rated PG-13. Now playing in theaters. Proud members of the Dread Podcast Network. <laughs> okay, sorry I'm late. Nonsense. Welcome to our home. Um. Okay. Th- thanks. This is this is different. Um. Are you ready to re- are you ready to record or? Uh... I'm afraid I can't. I just have so much laundry to do. Laundry? What are you talking about? We're supposed to record episode 52 today. Have you tried the new Tide with Febreze? It's just a dream. Andrew, Andrew, wake up. What are you talking about? And these bounce dryer sheets are just the icing on the cake. Such a fresh smell. Okay, what the hell is going on? Michael, where are you? Oh, Maddie, I wasn't expecting you. Andrew went on a special retreat. He's feeling much better these days. Shall I fetch you a drink? Maybe a nice martini for your travels. Well, I I mean, I, I guess... Maybe I could get used to this. Uh, Don't forget the two blue cheese olives. It's episode 52. Brainwashing is terrifying. I am the writing on the wall. The whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message. To save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay the time we honor thee from life to Desiree! Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes, that is better. They just drummed into her what they wanted her to hear. She's a completely different person. My brother became very fact-resistant. My reaction was, who are you and what have you done with my stepfather? Welcome, everybody, to episode 52 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Maddie. And if this is your first time with us, this is a podcast all about horror. Horror in real life and horror in the movies. And today we are tackling the crazy subject of brainwashing. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, brainwashing, mind control, take it however you want. And we don't mean putting soap in your ears. And, and swishing it around and putting your head in the toilet. Oh, I see where you're going. We mean actual brainwashing. That's what we're going to talk about today. I was not sure where you were going there. Yeah, for a you second. know what? Listen, you just got to follow along. I, I get us there eventually. Before we go into our main topic of brainwashing, Maddie, why don't you tell us what's terrifying in the world today? Oh, we got some bullshit going on this week. That is no lie. So, uh, you know, folks, in our certified ter- uh, terrifying corner, pardon me, um, we're looking at what's happening in our real world. And for the second half of March 2021, here are some items that we have certified as terrifying. First off, and this just sucks in, in so many ways, it's awful. Uh, we want to talk about the uh, the murders in the Asian community, the, the hate crime that happened in Atlanta uh, this past week. A 21-year-old white man viciously murdered eight people in Atlanta. Six of them were Asian women. 
He blamed it on his sex addiction. The cops said that he had, quote unquote, a bad day. I was happy to see that that officer was removed from the communications oh, case. <laughs> I mean, absolutely awful. And, you know, I, I feel just, I feel terrible for our, our Asian siblings. Um, it's it's a really hard time. And I think that this is really bringing to light the many points of discrimination that the Asian community has sort of quietly faced sure. over, the, over the existence of America. And it's awful. And it's... This is a terrible thing that that, that has happened. Um, I am glad, however, that people are finally starting to speak up against what's going on and calling it what it really is. I hate crime. Yeah, and I did see. I think it was in San Francisco. And you know, correct me if I'm. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I did see that a, an elderly Asian woman did actually fight S- back against her. San Francisco. Yeah, it was fight yeah. back against her, yeah. and he was on a stretcher, and she was not so yep. good for her. <laughs> she beat that motherfucker up with a two by four. Good. I mean, like it was it was crazy. Um, so, yeah, we are we're really thinking about that. And, um, you know, we are uh, we're looking for things that we can do. And we hope that you are, too. Um, so uh, let's talk next about Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Remember when people were saying he should be president? Remember that when that was happening? Anyways, um, not anymore, because the sexual assault and harassment charges are growing. Um, he now faces several allegations of inappropriate and possibly criminal behavior. Why is it that any person in power, it feels nowadays, has these horrible backgrounds? You know, what's 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 doubly awful about him? It's not just this, but it's also the whole like nursing home scandal too yeah, yeah, yeah. in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really is just a total piece of shit, mm-hmm. and it's just a shame. It really is. Um, let's talk about Army Hammer. This one is wild. Cannibal, maybe? I can't even, Um, like, when I even start to look into this, I'm just like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, I I have to be honest. I honestly didn't know about the real allegations until this week. I I just never... I never read about them. I never saw them, whatever. Um, So Army Hammer now faces more sinister charges of sexual assault, cannibalism, and rape. A 14-year-old has just come forward saying that he raped her. Um, he denies it all through his lawyer. Um, who knows what's going to happen here, but what a crazy fucked up story. And it just keeps getting crazier. Like the stuff that he put in his... And you know what? People do deserve some privacy. This is kind of a weird one. Because people went through his trash and they found weird stuff after he moved out of his house. Really? Yeah. It, and that's where all this like leather stuff and this cannibal stuff, that's where it all comes from is like what they found in his trash. <laughs> like that's that's so odd. I mean the the thing is this like, you know, if you're if you're like drinking blood, if you're doing whatever, if you're into leather, like that's that is truly all up to you. Like yeah. if it's consensual, we're not going to There's there's nothing. I'm not, we're not here to slut shame. Um, it, if it's Army Hammer or anybody. If it's rape, if it's sexual assault, totally different. that's something that's totally different. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, looking uh, call, call me by your cannibal. Um anyways, a new study uh from last week shows that 47% of Republicans are reluctant to get the vaccine. Anyone um, surprised about this? I'm not at all. Uh, I think that I would say that they are saying that they're reluctant to stay within party lines, but mm-hmm. given the opportunity to get the vaccine, they probably would. You know what? I, I hope that they will, uh, including the Republicans in my stupid family. Yeah, anyways, let's hope real life gets a little less scary. Get your vaccine. Get your fucking vaccine. (laughs) 
Get your listen. If you're an anti-vaxer, you st- you unsubscribe to us right now. You're not going to fit in here any longer. Listen, we're all just trying to get back to normal. More vaccines that get put into arms, the closer we can get. Yeah, thank to you, normal. thank so. you. Anyway, so let's get on to our topic. What are we talking? Brainwashing. 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 Okay. So, uh, brainwashing, in a definition sense, is the forcible indoctrination to introduce someone to give up basic political, social, or religious beliefs and attitudes, and to accept contrasting regimented ideas. So, essentially, you're taking someone and you are feeding them, you know, new ideas forcefully. It's not. To be confused with someone um, speaking out politically that is trying to change someone's mind, it's more of a forceful entry into someone's mind. Um, So we looked this up, and there's a really famous um, psychologist, Robert J. Lifton, from the 1950s. He studied former prisoners of Korean War and Chinese war camps. He determined that they'd undergone a multi-step process that began with attacks on the prisoner's sense of self and ended with what appeared to be a change in beliefs. Lifton ultimately defined a set of steps involved in the brainwashing cases he studied. Now, we're going to go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be in too much depth because that will be the whole hour. But the, but... Reason, the reason why we're going through this step by step is so that you can try this at home. Yeah, exactly. With, with your kids, <laughs> with your mother-in-law, you know, whatever you need. Just give it a shot. Let us know how it goes. So we begin with the breaking down of the self. So first, your uh, what would you call the brainwasher? Like, what would you call like they're the brainwasher, I guess. They're the brainwasher. And then the brainwashy? The brainwashed. Okay, got it. Okay. So the brainwasher will first start an assault on the identity of the brainwashed. Uh, you are not who you think you are. This is a systematic attack on a target's sense of self. Um, also called the, his identity or ego, um, mm. and his core belief system. Uh, they deny everything that makes the target who they are. You're in, in this case, we're talking a lot about soldiers, so that yeah, will come up sure. in some of this stuff, but you are not a soldier. You are not a man. You are not defending freedom. The target is under constant attack for days, weeks, or months. That's, that does not sound fun at all. Um, another step in this process would be guilt. So it, making the person believe that they are intrinsically bad, that they are sinful, that they are evil, that they have been making choices that are worthy of shame, and that everything that they do essentially is wrong. Right, right. And then beyond that, we go on to self-betrayal. So this is the part where they get you to agree with me that you're bad. Uh, Once the subject is disoriented enough and drowning in guilt, the uh, agent or the brainwasher um, basically threatens them with either physical harm or continuance of the mental attack to denounce his family, friends, peers, whoever they see is wrong in their system. So they're getting them to believe that they are bad. So then we get to the identity crisis. Now, now, now it's the breaking point, right? So this might be where, you know, what we would refer to as the nervous breakdown takes place. Um, and it's really, you know, a nervous breakdown for anybody is just like a collection of symptoms in the end. It's like a big, big panic attack, essentially. Um, and then that will result in deep depression uh, and in disorientation. I mean, think about it. If you've ever had a panic attack before, after it's over, you feel kind of like out of hollow, it. Yeah. out of it. Like you don't know what's going on. And that's the end of that stage. The next stage is called the possibility of salvation. 
so that starts with leniency. I can help you. With the target in a state of crisis, the agent offers some small kindness or reprieve from the abuse. He may offer the target a drink of water or maybe a moment to ask the target what he misses about home. In the state of breakdown resulting in an endless psychological attack, the small kindness seems huge to the brainwashed, and the target may experience a sense of relief and gratitude completely out of proportion to the offering. So the next one is called the compulsion to confession. And so the compulsion here is the interesting part, right? Because they have to compel the brainwashed person that it is time for you to get the relief that you're looking for. And so they they give them the contrast between guilt and leniency. And they make them believe that if you confess, that's going to be what gives you the relief. Next comes channeling of guilt. Um, this is why you're in pain. After weeks or month, months of an assault, confusion, breakdown, and moments of leniency, the target's guilt has lost all meaning. He's not sure what he's done wrong. He just knows he is wrong. This creates something of a blank slate that lets the agent fill in the blanks. He can attach that guilt with a sense of wrongness to whatever he wants. Uh, the agent attaches the target's guilt to a belief system the agent is trying to replace. The target becomes, or the target comes to believe uh, it is his belief system that is the cause of his shame. The contrast between old and new has been established. The old belief system is associated with psychological and usually physical agony. And the new belief system is associated with the possibility of escaping. And that just leads right into the release, right? So now it's time to get rid of the guilt. So the person now knows it's not themselves, it's actually just what they believe. And so if they change what they believe, then that wrongness is gone. And then things are sort of just solved in a way. So all he has to do is let go of his beliefs, but then also denounce the people that are part of those beliefs, denounce the institutions that are with those beliefs, etc., etc., etc. The target has completed the psychological rejection of their former identity. And now it's up to the agent, the brainwasher, to make a new one. This starts the next process, which is called rebuilding of the self. Um, the first part is called progress and harmony. If you want, you can choose good. The, ancient, the agent introduces a new belief system as the path to, quote-unquote, good. At this stage, the agent stops the abuse, offering the target physical comfort and mental calm in conjunction with the new belief system. The target is made to feel that, he, uh, that it is he who must choose between old and new. Giving the target the sense of his fate is in his own hands. And then, of course, it's the final confession and then the rebirth. So sort of like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, this new person shall be. Um, and it's what really Andrew just talked about, right? It's the final stage. There's some sort of ritual here or ceremony that allows them to be sort of initiated into the new way of life. And then that is like the person being reborn. Yeah, so that is how... You can make your friends and family believe yeah. whatever they want. I mean, I plan on doing it tonight to both Andrew and Michael. <laughs> so look forward to hearing more about that in our next episode. So uh, we want to talk about some real world examples of brainwashing. Um, Bring it on. Besides out of the, you know, coming out of the Korean and uh, the Korean War. Um, but one the one I want to talk about really quick, and I won't spend too much time on this because I think that it's been People pretty, know like, it, yeah. a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of press around this. But it is the story of Patty Hearst. Um, on February 4th, 1974, 19-year-old Patty Hearst. Um, can I say one thing? Sure. Um, you know what a good drag queen name would be? What? Patty Thirst. Oh, that is That's good. a good name. Good. Someone, okay, someone, I'm writing this down. Someone <laughs> do that. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
It's a little bit of an old reference. But <laughs> I mean, but I think it works, though, right? It does. Anyway, on February 4th, 1974, 19-year-old Patty Hearst was kidnapped from her Berkeley apartment by the urban guerrilla left-wing group called the Symbionese Liberation Army. I'm very proud of myself for pronouncing that. That was really good. Yeah. Um, Hearst's kidnapping was partly opportunistic as she had to, she lived near the SLA hideout. Um, and according to testimony at trial, the group's main intention was to leverage the Hearst family's political influence to free two SLA members who had been previously arrested for the killing of Marcus Foster. Um, faced with the failure to free... The imprisoned men, the SLA, demanded that the captive family distribute $70 worth of food and every to every needy Californian, an operation that would cost an estimated $40 million, or $400 million. In response, Hearst's family took out a loan and arranged the immediate donation of $2 million worth of food to the poor of the Bay Area in an operation called People in Need. After the distribution descended into chaos, because nobody can figure out how to distribute any help to anybody, of course. even in 1974, um, the SLA refused to release her. Now, according to Hearst, later testimony, she was held for a week in a closet, blindfolded and with her hands tied, during which the time the SLA founder and leader, um, going by the name Sink, also known as Donald DeVries, repeatedly threatened her with death so you can see the kind of what we were talking about sure. going into this um she was let out for meals and blindfolded and subsequently began to join the political discussions she was given a flashlight for reading and a sla political tracks to memorize hearst was confined in the closet for weeks after which she said defries told me that the war council had decided or was thinking about killing me or me staying with them and I was better thinking about as that as a possibility. So they're already starting to convince her, stay with us or you'll die. Hmm. Um, and then she immediately said, I, ac I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. In a different account, her said that she had been offered the choice of being released or joining the SLA. So a lot of things going on here. Um, when asked for her decision, Hearst said that she wanted to stay and fight with the SLA. The blindfold was removed, allowing her to see her captors for the first time. After this, she was given daily lessons on her duties, especially weapon drills. Angela Atwood told Hearst that the others thought she would know what sexual freedom was like in the unit, according to her lawyer. Hearst was allegedly also raped by DeFreeze and William Willie Wolf. So it sounds like sexual liberation yeah. was um disguised in this it's case. a veil yeah um she waited she later went on to commit several crimes with the sla including a bank robbery in san francisco and making improvised explosive devices at the time of her arrest hearst weight had dropped to, to 87 pounds and she was described by psychologist margaret singer in october 1975 as a low q iq low effect zombie Shortly after her arrest, signs of trauma were recorded. Her IQ was measured as 112, where it had previously been at 130. I like how they keep track. I know, right? Like, like who, who was making sure of that? <laughs> there were huge gaps in her memory regarding her pre... Oh, I forgot to mention that she during this time, she went by her um, chosen name of Tania. So um, there were huge gaps in her memory regarding her pre-Tania life. Um, she was smoking heavily and had nightmares. Without a mental illness or defect, a person is considered to be fully responsible for any criminal action not under duress, and which is defined as a clear and present threat of death and or serious injury. 
for Hearst to secure an acquittal on the grounds of having been brainwashed, she would have had a completely un- it would have been completely unprecedented at the time. So on March 20th, 1976, Hearst was convicted of bank robbery using a firearm um, during the commission of, an, on a, of a felony. After her initial judge died, actually, he had given her um, 35 years, but then died wow. before it could go through. She was given a sentence of seven years, um, in which of which she only served 22 months when President Carter commuted her sentence. She was officially given a pardon by President Clinton uh, on his last day in office in 2001. Strangely enough, she's gone on to be a pretty big actress, and she has starred, you know, she become a favorite of John Waters and has a, been on several films and television shows. So even though she had a crazy beginning to her life, she, I guess, reformed? Good for you, Patty Hearst. Good for you. It is strange, though, because like it's not like the SLA went out there and was like, we want $400 million. They were like, we want you to feed people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's a bizarre story, but it is a, one of the most famous cases in the FBI of subsequent brainwashing. Wow. Well, Patty Thirst... We're we're looking for you, baby. <laughs> we're looking for you. So uh, my my turn on the uh, horror in real life segment here is all about conversion therapy, um, and really important because you know next week we're going to be talking to we're going to be you're going to hear a, an interview with uh, an author named Adam Sass who just wrote a, a book called Surrender Your Sons, which is about conversion therapy in a lot of ways. So um, when it comes to brainwashing, I think this is maybe one of the just most awful. Uh, turns at it, and it's just terrible. Um, so I want to talk about it. Uh, a, a 2016 book called Curing Queers discussed the origins of conversion therapy for LGBTQ people uh, and the pseudoscience and the quackery that really bolstered the faulty hypotheses around it. So in 1899, Albert von Schrenk Notzing, what a name, Ooh. claimed that after 45 sessions of hypnosis, and a trip to a brothel, not a brother, like what I wrote in my <laughs> notes here. Really weird. I was like, took a trip to a brother. That's very weird. Anyways, he said that after 45 sessions of hypnosis and a trip to a brothel, he had managed to change a gay man straight. This was the first noted edition of such an undertaking in the medical community, and it kicked off a series of terrifying and torturous experiments on queer people. Testicle transplants electroshock therapy, lobotomies, aversion therapy. And it wouldn't be until the 70s that the APA would finally turn its back on conversion therapy and finally declare that homosexuality was no longer a mental disorder. So only like the last, what, 50 years? Yeah, basically. So, I mean, yeah. And this is the thing. I, th- I think that the people don't really understand the, the history of this and how it is still a... It's still a thing because none of that has stopped religious groups from offering their own conversion therapies. Because you can't police religion. You can't. And so um, just some stats here. And this comes from the Williams Institute at UCLA. Um, 698,000 LGBTQ Americans have received conversion therapy, which is very, very sad. Um, 16,000 more young people this year will receive conversion therapy before they turn 18 in the states that do not ban it. Um, I looked at some some different survivor testimonies, and there's one really sort of famous person um, in terms of, of his experience. His name is Sam Brinton. Uh, and in a piece that he wrote in the New York Times in 2018, he oh, just... Oh, really... 
It's yeah. only a couple of years ago. Three years ago. Uh, he described his torture in conversion therapy, and he said, For over two years, I sat on a couch and endured emotionally painful sessions with a counselor. Counselor in quotation marks. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I was told that my faith community rejected my sexuality, that I was the abomination we had heard about in Sunday school, that I was the only gay person in the world, and that it was inevitable that I would get HIV and AIDS. But it didn't stop with these hurtful talk therapy sessions. The therapist ordered me bound to a table to have ice, heat, and electricity applied to my body. And he doesn't say it in this piece, but it was to his genitals. Oh, often. God. Um, I was forced to watch clips on a television of gay men holding hands, hugging, and having sex. I was supposed to associate those images with the pain I was feeling uh, to once and for all turn into a straight boy. In the end, it didn't work. I would say that it did just to make the pain go away. He would attempt suicide five times and he survived. Um, and thankfully Sam Britton, you know, talks about his experiences very openly. He still writes about it. Um, it's really sad. And that's just one story right. of, of, of many that happened. And it's just terrible um, because this shit still happens. Um, and only 20 states have banned conversion therapy. And here's what they are. I'm going to read. I'm going to read all 20 to you. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, Utah, and Virginia. There's also 85 municipalities. So think basically big cities like New York and Chicago and those kinds of places. Um, what don't you see in that list? You don't see a bunch of the southern states. Uh, you don't see the weird western states like Montana and Idaho, those kind of things. The, the, the Dakotas, for example. Um, is conversion therapy dangerous beyond just like, you know, is it a bad practice? Uh, yeah. According to the Trevor Project's 2020 National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health, 10% of LGBTQ youth reported undergoing conversion therapy, with 78% uh, reporting that it occurred before they were 18. Youth who, were, who reported undergoing CT reported more than twice the rate of attempting suicide in the past year compared to those who did not. Furthermore, peer-reviewed study published by the Trevor Project and the American Journal of Public Health found that LGBTQ youth who underwent CT were more than twice as likely to report having attempted suicide and more than two and a half times as likely to report multiple suicide attempts in the past year. I mean, is anyone surprised? Not surprised I mean, at all. You're being told you're wrong. Right. That you are wrong. Yeah. You don't belong in this world. Without a doubt. Um, and even more than that, because there's more statistics, suicide attempts nearly tripled for LGBT young people who reported both home-based and out-of-home efforts to change their sexual orientation, 63%. High levels of depression more than doubled, 33%, for LGBT young people whose parents tried to change their sexual orientation compared with those who reported no conversion experiences. And more than tripled for LGBT young people who reported both home-based and out-of-home efforts. Sexual orientation change experiences during adolescence by both parents, caregivers, and externally by therapists and religious leaders were associated with lower young adult socioeconomic status, less educational attainment, and lower weekly income. So in other words, it just sets up people both for uh, really bad psychology for the future yeah. and really bad material for the future. Sure. It, it, it ruins people's lives yeah and you know i i think about my own life when it comes to this you know i didn't come out to my family when i was a kid 
Um, Me neither. Really glad that I didn't. Yeah. Because I sort of wonder... I sort of wonder if this might have happened to me in some way. I don't know. And, you know, there is uh, my my sister's ex-mother-in-law. She gave my mom a pamphlet for Exodus International. Um, she did it when they were at a birthday party. And my mom, and this is when I was in college, and I was home from college then. And my mom came home and gave it to me. And I tore it up in front of her. Could not, could not believe what did she that, say? That, that it happened. My mom didn't say anything. It's one of those moments with my mom... You know, my mom's 84. She's she's not going to be around that much longer. You know, you you learn to forgive your parents. But it's one of those moments with my mom that I still don't forgive her for. Yeah. Because she didn't stick up for me in that moment. She didn't look at that person, this dumb idiot named Pat, who gave her this piece of garbage brochure and didn't say, fuck you, my son is fine. She came home and she gave it to me because part of my mom believed that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. That's it. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if my mom actually still believes that or not. And it sucks, but that's what kids deal with. And I'm lucky. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have to go through this. But when you think about what Sam Britton had to go through and all those other kids who are now adults and they have fucked up lives, I got news out there. Any Christian fucking parent that did this to your kid, you are trash and you but i i really do mean this i i believe this a hundred percent you be, you belong in the hell that you believe in for ruining the person's life that you were supposed to protect that's what i believe and if you want to get involved or if you need help uh two of the institutions that maddie has sourced was a born perfect or the trevor project which i think everybody knows yeah which project, are but... which are both pretty closely uh, uh uh connected to and those are you can just go to bornperfect.org and of course, trevorproject.org, you, you all know about that. But yeah, go there. You know, If you need resources, if you're a survivor of conversion therapy and you haven't gotten help, seek it out. Yeah, you know, there's sure. There are resources you didn't deserve out there that. for you. you no, didn't you didn't deserve that and you can get help. Um, and I think a lot of these resources will help you for free if you're not able to Oh, without a doubt. So um, any personal experiences with any of this for you beyond with the one you just shared? Um, yeah, but I, I was actually thinking of another one this morning. Um, there was uh, a guy that I dated long ago. Um, his name was Nick. And, you know, we were young. And I, was, I thought I was in love. I was definitely not in love. Um, and I was maybe taking it a lot more seriously than he was. Sure. We, we broke up, and I was really mad about it. Um, but he was from uh, – he, he was a pastor's kid, a PK. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And he was from this little tiny town in Ohio. It's good to know that even back then you didn't see the red flags. Uh, girl, I, I, I still don't, quite frankly. Um, but anyways, uh, his, his dad was a preacher in this really strange and small sect of Lutheranism called the Brethren. And um, doesn't sound it doesn't sound great. I know, but they're called the Brethren. And um, his dad was a preacher, and his like grandpa was, and you know, the whole line of weird fucking people. I remember when he told me his coming out story, and we were. I remember we were at his house and we were having dinner, and I started crying when he told me because his parents sent him to a camp. Yeah, like that happened, and I, I, I had never met anybody that that had happened to. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew kids that went to Bible camp. I knew kids that like whatever. But this was different. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, I remember him telling me that it, it took his brothers like defending him. He had two brothers, his brothers defending him and telling his parents, like, you're not, you're not doing anything like this again. This is never going to happen again. And that's, that's how he kind of got out of it. Huh. But what really mystified me was how he still had this relationship with his parents. 
it boggled my mind. Yeah. Like you're, you're the people that birthed you that are, that are, that are supposed to protect you and take care of you. They didn't do that. So like the contract was broken. They hurt you in such a deep way. I don't know. That takes a lot of grace to forgive somebody like that. I don't, I couldn't do it. Like I just said, my mom gave me a pamphlet and I still don't forgive her for it. Right. So like, I, I don't understand how they come to forgive the people that did this to them. That's, yeah. that is beyond me. It's how a about, lot. How it's about a lot you? of work. It's a lot of work when yeah. you need to, you know, go through something like that. Yeah. What about you? Um, not necessarily against me being gay, but I think listeners have learned over, you know, the course of a lot of our subjects that I did suffer a lot of abuse as a child, yeah. um, from various father figures, <laughs> thankfully not my own. Yeah. Um, but, um, more in line with gaslighting yeah. and kind of just making you feel like you're you're the wrong thing right and that and that whole process we uh -huh. talked about yeah that you are the one that's wrong in this and and, and, it, and it caused me a lot of self-reflection later on in life yeah. to where i i soon realized that no they were the ones that were wrong in doing this to me um it takes a lot of work and a lot of self-reflection um but i think anyone you know and look at patty hurst for example can get out of their abuse and can really turn their life around with the light, right? Yeah. The right people around them. And you know, this does, does go to show you can choose, you know, beyond, beyond who you work with or whatever, you can choose who you surround yourself with. That is 100% correct. And if that, if those people are not good for you, you have to be able to say goodbye. Yep. Otherwise, even even if it's your family. Yeah, I totally fact, agree. Especially if it's your family. Because that's not good for your mental health. And, and you, it's going to just continue down the spiral. Yeah, and you have a you literally have a life to live. And and it's it's all that you have. It's all it's literally all that you have. Everything else around you is ephemeral. And like, it, and it, it's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you. Yeah. It's the one thing that actually belongs to you, Patty Thirst. <laughs> so anyway, I think that will kind of wrap up our discussion. I think that was pretty good. That was good. a good discussion. Um, and we will take our first break and be right back. Tell you with... what, I'm so mad though right now. It really got me worked up. <laughs> Sorry. We'll be right back with what you've been watching, bitch. What you've been watching, Patty Thirst. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we're back with everyone's favorite segment, What You Been Watching, Bitch. What You Been Watching, You Dirty Bitch. That was, I like that one from you. So this is, of course, the segment where we talk about what we have been watching, you biatch. So the first one to tell us what he's been watching is this biatch in front of me, Andrew. <laughs> My first one comes from Amazon Prime. It is called Halloween Party. Um, this is one that I randomly found on Amazon and kind of took a chance on it and was uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, it's still a pretty low budget, and it comes across to me that it may be Canadian, just the way that it's filmed and everything. I'm not sure I didn't look too much into it. But ba the basic premise is that there is a new app, and it is called Halloween Party. And you download it. I mean, that sounds fun. And you download it, and there's a countdown that starts. And if you don't put in your greatest fear, and you have to be truthful, it knows if you're lying or not. Jesus. You have to put in your greatest fear. And if you don't do it in time, your greatest fear comes to life what and kills you. What the fuck is this? So it takes place on a college campus. Um, there's some cool backstory that goes on. If you're into like an afternoon type fun movie, I would definitely recommend it. It's not going to blow your socks off, but an it's a fun. An after school special, yeah. if you will. It was a fun little Amazon find for me. Fun. 
Uh, my first pick is What Richard Did on Amazon Prime. What did he do? He, he did a lot. <laughs> um, what Richard Did is from 2012. Uh, I had never heard of this before. It came up in a suggestion. It uh, stars Jack Rayner, who you will know as the boyfriend, the awful boyfriend from Midsummer, from our oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, in I honestly didn't know he did anything else. Same here. Um, so this takes place in Ireland. By the way, Jack Rayner is Irish. I didn't know that either. Um, in a town called Sandy Mount, it's not far from Dublin at all. It's kind of an affluent place. If I'm not lying, he does look very Irish. Um, a little, I guess. <laughs> I just never put two and two together. Um, but uh, in the story, he he's a he's a high schooler basically. Him and all his friends are all seniors. They all play rugby. Blah 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 blah. And they're all you know sort of well off. They go to a private school called Raglan. Do and they wear uniforms? They do, which is very, <laughs> you know how I feel about that. Anyways, um, in the course of the movie, uh, ba- basically there's, um, the, if, just to keep it simple, there's a fight. And in the fight, someone gets killed. And um, there's a cover-up, and then there are broken-hearted people. And there is sort of this story of just young people in Ireland, but also young people in general. And how sex and intimacy works among them and how friendships work and how male friendships work and female friendships work. And it's it's a really beautiful film. It's really sad. Um, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I think it was a really good watch. It is a little it's a little horrifying um, what, what really occurs and, and, and the downfall from it. And the ending, I think, is especially stark. So I highly recommend What Richard Did. You can find it on Amazon Prime for free. Um, I'm trying to think of what I, oh, it kind of reminds me of super dark times a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. So my second one was, uh, it's a Polish movie. It's, it's on Netflix and it's called all my friends are dead. That sounds like fun. (laughs) My goodness. The whole premise of the movie, um, it opens on a party and it is the aftermath and everyone in the room is dead. Wow. And then it's kind of one of those movies where it does a rewind and it goes back to the beginning of the night. Remix. (laughs) (laughs) What? Remix. And um, you kind of just see what happened throughout the night that led to all these people being dead. That's insane. Um, Highly entertaining. Um, It is dubbed. So if you don't want to read subtitles, the dubbing is actually not bad. Okay. Um, it's kind of like that other Polish movie that was on Netflix. Oh, I forget the name of it. People Don't Sleep in the Woods at Night or something like that. Yes, I think that is. Very similar style, very similar dubbing. So it didn't throw me off at all. Um, some cute people in it. Um, I'm I'm in. And it was, it was just like a fun movie, even though people are dying left and right. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, we're horror movie people. So that's like fun to us. But, um, I would highly recommend All My Friends Are Dead on Netflix. Awesome. My next pick is maybe one of the best movies I've ever watched. It's it's going to be in the top 10 for me. Cherry. Um, that's on Netflix right now. Um, right? It's on Netflix. Yes, it's on Netflix. Yeah, God, I couldn't think of it. Um, Cherry. Oh, no, it's not. It's on Apple Plus. Duh. I'm such a liar. Oh, I was like, this is why I've never heard of it. Oh, my God. Literally it's literally the only streaming service I oy, don't have. Oy. Anyways, so listen. Cherry. Cherry um, is the story of a, a young guy from Cleveland who joins the army because his girlfriend breaks up with him, goes to Iraq, fights in the war, has terrible PTSD, um, comes home to his wife because he married her before she left, and just 
di- dives into drugs. That, that that's that's what it is. It's the story of addiction. It's the story of crime because he has to steal to get enough money to pay for the drugs. You said crime. Crime. Oh, I thought you said crime. crying. I mean, I like... no, there's plenty of crying. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I cried throughout this film. It is. This film is both uh, so well done that it's entertaining. It's it's Russo brothers. They just do a great job with it. It's Can you also point to anything else that they've done. I. You can't. Okay. So I can't think, think of it right now. But they they've done some action movies actually. I okay. I think they did one of the Avengers movies actually. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Um, anyways, uh, it's a very it's a very sad story of what has happened in America with OxyContin. That's mm. exactly what this is all about, and how pushing that on people made them into heroin addicts, and then we just expected all of this pain and trauma and PTSD and addiction to just float away into the ether. And instead, we criminalize it and make it awful. It's just, it is a story that compounds on itself. And Tom Holland is so good in this movie. Now I see why you watched no, it. <laughs> well, listen, I, I do think that Tom Holland is just is just a total cutie. But beyond that, he is fantastic in this movie. If he does not get best actor for this, I don't understand what's going on. He was wonderful, uh, just had it down. He went 1000% on this role. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I hope that you like it too. I hope that you, I hope that you watch it and that you talk about it with people. There are addicts in my family that I'm going to hopefully get to watch this movie because they need to. Um, and there are also conservative people in my family. I'm going to make watch this movie. It's, it's really good. Can't recommend it enough. Cherry. Is this, do you think that this would have been a movie that would have been in the theaters if, Oh, I'm, I'm, well, I mean, I guess I don't know. Everything is so weird now. I don't yeah. even know how to answer that anymore. But Apple, Apple is doing a much better job of producing things. Yeah. And this is, this is a clear example of that. Well, my next one's completely opposite of that. Go right ahead. <laughs> my next one is on Hulu. If you want to watch it, it's not going to be a recommend for me, but I did want to talk about it because it's hilarious. Um, it's called Triggered on Hulu. And it essentially is the story of a bunch of kids that went to high school together, all getting back together to go to, I think, a concert. Oh, wow. But along the way, they stop in camp for a night. Oh, boy. And in the middle of the night, they all wake up. And all their phones are gone, and all their stuff is gone, and they have strapped to their chest a bomb. And what? They all have a bomb on their chest, and they each have a separate countdown. Um, and if you let that countdown go over, you blow up. What? And in this movie, uh, if you kill one of your f- fellow participants, you get their time. What? So it's kind of one of those type of movies. It was made in South Africa. But it's made to seem like it's in the U.S. So that's I think lot. that's where some of the um, translation. Yeah, it just thing. doesn't quite. Yeah, it's it's not great. But it's it's one of those ones where if you're like, hey, I don't have anything else to watch. It might be worth your watch. Fair enough. The reason I wanted to talk about it with you yeah. is because there's a hilarious part in this movie where one of the girls finds out that she uh her boyfriend has been cheating on her with her other friend and she was like you gave me herpes oh my god and then in subsequent the girl (laughs) says to the other girl i'm gonna kill you but like for real because the and the other girl's like no that's just the herpes talk oh my god (laughs) so that's ridiculous i had to do that so if you want to subject yourself to kind of a weird movie triggered might be for you triggered Um, My next one is called Kid 90. You can also find this on Hulu. Um, It is a documentary about Soleil Moonfry. 
You might remember her as Punky Brewster. Yeah, I was like, where do I know that from? Um, and it's really good. Is uh, this that one like um, where they like follow her? Well, so here, here, here's what the, okay. here's what it is. Um, you know, when she in the early '90s, we didn't have iPhones, so not all of us had like video and photo all the time. Yeah, and that was, of course, the case for them. She had a camcorder, and she was like, you know, a Hollywood kid. Yeah, she recorded everything around her, every party. Every this, every that, she had that camcorder going nonstop. That's crazy. So in other words, she has all of this background footage on Hollywood life for fucking years. And all these people that she was friends with, there there just happened to be this spate of like eight overdoses and suicides. And so that's what it, what, what it kind of focuses on. It's huh. like, what happened to all of these you know, kids, some of them who were in the movie, kids actually, what happened to all of them? How did this occur? You know, what was the pain that they were experiencing? What are the sort of like untold stories behind the addiction, behind um, the overdoses, behind everything else? It's really sad. But like, if you're a 90s kid like we are, I think it's really worth the watch. Sure. Um, I think it's worth the watch for anybody. But it's a really interesting sort of like view into that time period. And it's sad. Where did did you watch this? On Hulu. Okay. It's called Kid 90. I highly recommend it. You know, it makes me think, whenever I see something like this come up, or whenever I watch like a 2020 special or an, uh, um, what do you call it, Unsolved Mysteries or like any of these things. Dateline. I'm like, this is how I know they're never going to make one about this, about me, even if something happens to me, because I have like barely any photos or like videos or anything. Just because we moved around so much as as a kid, a lot of those things just went missing they're just gone. over time and like i'm i'm okay with that quite yeah. frankly <laughs> i have a limited amount of pictures but yeah if they want to do a dateline on me it's gonna be real tough you want my dick pics fine <laughs> you can have them <laughs> all right my final one i believe just premiered on amazon prime um but i think it might be on shutter too it's on shutter too it, okay is it yeah. um i think that's where i maybe where i watched it um it is called hosts hosts <laughs> not hosts <laughs> but the portal <laughs> yes. it's called hosts Part two. I'm going to avoid saying it so too much. But um, so basically what this movie is about, it takes place in England, I believe, but it might be Ireland. I think it's England. Um, it is about a family that is a, uh, let's see here. It's a mother and a father and two kids, but the kids are like kind of grown-ish. Okay. Or no, it's three kids. Sorry, three kids. And they invite their neighbors over for dinner one night. It's these people that they have known for a long time. And it turns out that there's more of a connection that you find out later in the movie. Um, But what they don't know is that their neighbors have been taken over. Um, It's not really explained whether it's aliens or ghosts or what. Well, that fits in with this, doesn't it? They are taken over. They are brainwashed, essentially. (sighs) And this movie, I did not know what to expect going into it. I definitely had to settle into the accents because the accents are pretty strong pretty in this thick. one. Yeah. Um, but once I settled in and kind of knew what was going on, this movie is so mean. It is so mean. Really? I, I can't even tell you. And it has one of the most crazy off the wall death scenes I've seen in a very long time. Wait a minute. I've seen this. Have you seen it? I just, I just remember that I watched it. So th- yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm talking ahead. about the kitchen table. Scene. Oh yeah, it's awful. It, it, it's <laughs> just, crazy. It it blew me away. I, I think I think you're right. Mean is the way to put it. It's because a mean it is. movie. Yeah, it's fucking mean. Um, but I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's a it's a good movie. It's For sure. just like 
be prepared. Prepare yourself. Yeah, it's a lot of time. It's yeah. a lot. Um, but yeah, that's hosts on Shutter. Plural. Plural. Uh, my final one, and the final one for the segment is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the latest Marvel uh, iteration universe thing on Disney Plus. Now, the reason why I watch this is I don't know anything about Marvel for the most part, um, is because my sister is in it. So it's a series. Uh, episode one just came out this weekend. Um, and she is in it. She plays Senator Atwood. You'll see her, I think, about like eight minutes into the first episode, I feel like. Maybe ten, somewhere in there. Um, anyways, she's in it. Her name is Rebecca Lyons. You should check it out. We're going to have Rebecca on the show later on this year because she's also in The Conjuring 3. So we'll talk more about that later. But Falcon and the Winter Soldier, even for somebody who doesn't really know anything about Marvel, you know, it was good. I, did, I enjoyed it. It's a fun action yeah. show with... Yeah. You know, comic-y kind of stuff. The main guy is like Red Wing, I think, is his name. The what? the the main hero in it. I think his name is Red Wing, I think. No, that's not a thing. Well, what's his name? <laughs> the Winter Soldier? That's not his name in it. They don't call and him the Falcon? In this. Or do they call him the Falcon? Is that it? I don't know. Listen, <laughs> the guy's got wings. I don't know what the fuck you call him. I haven't watched the first episode yet. I, He's I, called Falcon. That's I, why it's called Falcon in the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I swear somebody in that calls him Red Wing, but maybe I'm wrong. All I know is... I don't know about Marvel, <laughs> and that's it. So, anyways, listen, bitches. I will, I will, I will watch and confirm because I yeah, we do plan on watching this. You series. can, you can tell me <laughs> now. Listen, that's the end of what you've been watching, bitch. Now, here's the thing: you're a bitch, and Andrew, you're a bitch, and you're so a bitch I, as well, and I'm a bitch too. And that's what we have been watching. Now, hold on, go take a little break, get a little drink, get a little snack. We just had a thing called a salami whip. So that's really good. talk about that later. Anyways, we're, we're going to be right back with our first movie of the episode, The Stepford Wives. In the town of Stepford, the men are getting exactly what they always dreamed of, perfect wives. And the dream is becoming a nightmare for the Stepford Wives. A very modern suspense story from the author of Rosemary's Baby. The Stepford Wives about what men can do behind closed doors. Uh, they were telling me about the men's association. Right now, it's strictly men only. Not to mention that creepy men's association. We moved here about two months ago, and Ed joins this men's association. Anything that gets him out of the house nights is fine with me. I like to watch women doing little domestic chores. You came to the right town. I want to please him now. I'll just die if I don't get this recipe. It took me so long to get the upstairs floor to shine. Charmaine's changed, Carol Van Zandt's changed, and so have all those other women's club members. I'm getting the hell out of Stepford. The house is clean. The kids are washed. Everything's pretty much perfect. So we're going to talk all about the Stepford Wives. Maddie, tell us a little bit about the Stepford Wives. Something strange is happening in the town of Stepford. Joanna Eberhard has come to the quaint little town of Stepford, Connecticut, with her family, but soon discovers there lies a sinister truth in the all-too-perfect behavior of the female residents. Stepford Wives, Stepford Wives, Stepford Wives was directed by Brian Forbes. The novel was written by Ira Levin, screenplay by William Goldman, uh, produced by Columbia Pictures, Joanna Eberhardt, Catherine Ross, Walter Eberhardt, Peter Masterson, Bobby Marco, Paula Prentice, Carol Van Zandt, Nanette Newman, what a name, uh, Charmaine Wimpress, 
Tina Louise. Dr. Fancher by, uh, was played by Carol Eve Rawson. Ike Mazard was played by William Prince. Kit Sunderson, Carol Mallory, Dale Coba, Patrick O'Neill. And honestly, this cast is so huge, I had to stop somewhere. Yeah. Um, it rated PG, imagine. What? Yeah, rated PG. Um, 115 minutes long. It was released February 12th, 1975. Uh, filmed mostly in Manhattan and then a bunch of places in Connecticut. I could not find the budget for this movie anywhere, but the gross estimated is probably about like nine million, which is not a surprise because this was kind of a flop all over the place. Um, and that, my friends, is the Stepford Wives. Great, lots to talk about. Um, let's start talking about it, Andrew. Um, so my relationship with the Stepford Wives, I kind of just knew about is that it. You are one. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of just knew what the Stepford Wives was, and I had never really given it a true watch. Yeah. But I kind of knew, like, and I've seen the two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand four remake with Nicole Kidman, which is not the same. It's not... It's more of a comedy. It's not good. Yeah, it's more of a comedy than a, a horror. Um, and this one kind of... It meanders a little bit of being kind of like a mystery. Yeah. And then kind of a horror. So... I think I think you're right on that. Um, so, yeah, I had not seen it in its full capacity. I kind of knew the beats of it. Um, did not know what happened. Did not know what happened at the end, which yeah. that... We'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, but right. um so yeah, I, I watched it for the first time. Uh, unfortunately, it was on Tubi, so there's commercials. So Ugh. I think next time I get the inkling to watch this, which I, I know I will. Just order, I really order a Blu-ray. It. Yeah, I'm going to buy it because it kind of took me out of it with the commercials. Um, overall, I think it's like really well acted. Everyone does like a really good job. Yeah. Um, there's some current, there's some really good scenes that I want to talk about as we go through it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I highly enjoyed watching The Stepford Wives last night. Yeah, uh, ago, me, me, me too. I, I, I think it's a film that really deserves a lot more airtime. Um, and I think it's a shame that it doesn't get it. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I do think maybe a reboot could be in order. I, I could see that. I could see but this being like a limited series. I could see that too. I just don't think it needs to be a comedy. I, I don't think you need to fuck it up. Like, just l- like let it be what it is. Well, and the weird thing about it being a comedy is that think about what's happening yeah, in the it's, movie. It's not it's funny. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. Like, I think that's really... You're killing your wives it's and really fucked them. up. I, I think what's funny in the original film uh, is the writing. Like, there, yeah. there's some genuinely funny stuff in there that, like, isn't funny funny. It's just, like, this. It, it's a good writer writing sarcasm. Well, it's, like, it's when she... It's, like, a place is, like, when she's at the party and she's had right. too much lemonade and she, the robot just goes around saying... I'll just die if I don't get this recipe. Right. <laughs> it's, and then she just repeats it to all the different people in the crowd. She cooks as good as she looks, Ted. Oh, I know. I have that right I, I mean, I mean, there's just, or uh, there's, but then at the other part of it too, there, there are some really genius lines like, and you know, this was written at a time of women's lib. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the, the classic thing is the, the, the classic argument within the, the movie is sort of nearer the, the first, it's in the first act. And, you know, the, the, the basic gist of the story is this. The dude's a lawyer. He's got a family. The mom's basically a homemaker, but also she's a photographer. Yeah. Um, the and husband's so, tired of the city. Yeah, tired of the city. They moved to Connecticut, which is a very common story with New Yorkers. So they go there. They get this house. It's a beautiful house. It really is. And, you know, and there's a very stark difference because we start in the city. We, suddenly, we're in the country. Yeah, it's, everything's really loud. Oh, there's people all over the suddenly place. suddenly, it's just quiet as fuck. Um, and so they have this argument eventually, though, because he joins the men's society and he sort of pretends to ask his wife 
if it's okay. Well, this is how, and this is why I, listen, I know that they're not brainwashed at the end. That's not kind of what I was talking about when, I, wrote, yeah. when I brought this up for, you know, discussion on brainwashing. But gaslighting. It's, it's more around how he treats his wife right. and how he basically does things and then asks her as right. if she has a choice. And and she she says in the beginning, she says, why bother to ask me at all? And walks away. And that's sort of the crux of everything is there's this 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 pretense that the wife has a choice and that right. any of these wives in Stepford have had a choice and they never did. And um and it's it's to their detriment and let's be real, it's to their physical detriment completely yeah. because then they become robots. Robots. Basically. I mean like that's that's what happens here. And so it is this sort of like sci-fi fantasy dark horror Sort of dark comedy in some ways, too, I guess, well, like, yeah. in a way. I, I thought it was, there, there was honestly a couple parts in this movie where I had to stop it and look up what they were talking about because yeah. there were things that I didn't understand because of the time. I'm not going to squeeze a Charmin. Yeah, that, I liked that. And then whatever she said that she had, what? Um, let's see here. I'm trying to remember. Was it, was a, it a ring ding. Oh yeah, a ring ding. I was yeah. like, I didn't know what yeah. a ring ding was. A ring ding and scotch. And it's it's a, it's a New York delicacy. So yeah. obviously that's why we didn't know right. what it was. Right, sure, sure, sure. Um, and then the other one that I didn't know um, was a conscious raising event. Consciousness raising event. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know what that meant. So I, I had to like... I know what that is, but that's also because of the stuff that I'm involved in. Well, nowadays we call it something different. Right, like We'll sure. call it like a political rally or, or rally. Might, or, or, like or it a, might be a sit-in or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So she called... She, Essentially, part of the movie is her trying to kind of liberate these women to be more themselves. Well, I just use easy on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she goes around the neighborhood. And this is this was the best part of the movie for me is when she goes around the neighborhood and she has all these separate comfort. Her and Bobby, who uh, I guess we didn't mention Bobby yet. Bobby is um, a new a friend. Uh, well, she's a newly uh, moved to, to Stepford. Stepford. And she's kind of more in line with how our main character thinks and acts. So they they strike up a friendship. And they want to have one of these consciousness-raising events. And so they go around the neighborhood asking all of the Stepford wives yeah. if they would like to come. And they all have, like, these ridiculous reasons why they can't. Like, I can't get the floor to shine upstairs. I, and I, I just have too much laundry to do. I and, shouldn't like, say it, but I just love my brownies. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part so much. Um, and so then it comes down to they end up coming to the party. But when they start talking, you know, our main character is like, hey, do you guys want to talk about politics, sex? Like, we can talk about anything. Yeah. Like, this is a safe space for, you know, bring up anything. And then they just start talking about, like, cleaning products. Easy on. Yeah. And you're just like, what is going on Well, here? I get my ironing done much faster with easy on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, those were the kind of moments that really did it for me in this movie. And then also when um, we meet, I think it's Charmaine. I can't, the one with the tennis court. Charmaine. Um, and she has not been turned yet into a robot. Yeah. And she's kind of more in line with the way they think. Um, a little more sexually liberated, a little more like, you know, run and gun type oh, for person. Sure. Yeah. Um, and she plays tennis with our main character. I can't remember our main character's name. That's why I keep saying main character. Joanna. Joanna. Um, and uh, she eventually gets replaced and uh -huh. the husband gets his way by taking out her um tennis court and putting in a heated pool yep um which you know if i'm being honest i'd get much more use out of a heated well, pool sure yeah pool. sure but um, that not being anything um and it just is this and you kind of 
it didn't happen for me with Charmaine as much, but when you get the reveal Bobby? that Bobby yeah. is a, like changed, right? Oh, it hurt my heart. Yeah, of course so it much because she's such a good character in this. Well, and let's be real. Like, I mean, you can apply that to people in your life. You know, I mean, I think we both know women that maybe they didn't become robots because that's not yet a thing. Right. Hopefully, it never will be. But we've, you and I, have seen women do that. For sure. Give in to awful men Mm -hmm. and change themselves completely because that's what they think they're supposed to do or that's what's going to create, you know, quote unquote, harmony or whatever. And not just women. We've seen men do that, too. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think it's especially hard because it's a cognate to your life. Right. And it just sucks to see it. It just sucks. I went into this expecting this to be kind of a 70s movie. Yeah. And And it it definitely is. I mean, it is. But a lot of the same issues are still the same. 100%. Like, it's just insane to me. Um, I did. I will say, apart from our main couple, it was a little hard for me to um, understand whose husband was whose wife One, and vice 1, versa. One thousand percent. It's very, it's very tough. And also because they're all sort of not memorable in a way. Yeah. Like, I mean, like Peter Masterson is memorable for me because he's in The Exorcist. Yeah. He's the, he's the main psychiatrist in The Exorcist. Um, so like I, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, awesome. He's is he the one that um, draws? He's, he's Joanna's, he's Joanna's Oh, husband. okay, okay. Yeah, he's, he's Walter Everhart. Okay. Um, but the others, I mean, they're kind of all over the place and they also kind of play like they're not, like anyone could be anyone's spouse. They kind of don't play as individuals. They kind of just yeah. play as a group. As, it's like a big community. It's like the men's society just controls a bunch of robot women in the end. Yeah. Um, I did like, though, that when early on in the movie, because she's not very happy that he joined the men, or I guess she's she's not not happy that he joined the men's group. He's She's ha- not happy that the men's group does not accept women. Exactly. Um, so he, as, a, as a make a good or as we find out later on, as a uh, starting point for her transformation, he invites over the men's club to have like a, a meeting at their house. Yeah. And that's when you kind of learn, she, in uh, the when one guy's drawn, gets drawn by Ike. And they do this series of manipulations that in the movie are very slight. And if you kind of blink, you'll miss it. But like yeah. that meeting is the initiation yeah. of like starting the process. Right. And then the guy with the stutter who is like, well, record your vo- these words into the recorder. I'm really interested in language. Just start and, here like, with A. Yeah. And so you come to understand, oh, these robots only have a fixed number of words that what they does, can even use. Bobby, what does archaic mean? Yeah. It wasn't on the list. It wasn't on the list. <laughs> I like so. watching women do mundane, mundane what chores. Mundane chores or whatever. Mundane household chores. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fucking creepy so gross. Um, I did think it was funny that I and it's it's not really known if this woman even has a husband or if she is a Stepford wife. But the, the woman, reporter? Yeah, the reporter. I don't think she has a husband. So she is like writes the local like newsletter that goes out to everybody, and every time somebody new moves to Stepford, she kind of writes about them, gives them a little editorial, and um, she is the one that is like, oh well, Stepford's most liberal place around. It's spreading like wildfire. There's a new black family moving in, and she, I did like the way she phrased it though. She was like, I think it's good. Like she was like. I think no. She's like no. I think it's progress. Exactly. And I was like, or, so, oh. or something along something those along lines. those lines. But it was yeah. like to hear that in 1974 in a movie, you know, pretty much based around all white people. It was very surprising to kind of hear that that kind of. Well, statement. and that that's also where we learn in that same sequence 
um, that there were a bunch of progressive women there before. Yeah. And so uh, the, the, that woman, the reporter, whatever her name is, I can't think of it. She says, well, there must have been 50 different you know, women that were really into liberation and whatever else around here. And then they all disappeared. Yeah, yeah. She also says that they're the most liberal because they have a Chinese restaurant. And that too. <laughs> and that too. I, the one part that confused me, and maybe you can, and I, it's just so strange. What happens to the dog? I don't, I don't know. Because the, they show the dog like being taken away in the back of a truck. But then when she breaks in at the end to the room where her robot is, God, the dog is in there. Honestly, if, if, if I'm being honest, I just don't remember right now. I just don't remember. <laughs> I just didn't. That part confused me. I was like, so is the dog a robot too? I mean, the dog could be. A, I mean, they might be thinking, well, why not? We might as well, while, while we're doing it, let's do the, the dog too. Yeah, I don't, although, I, I don't know how it also works for a dog. I don't either. I don't know. Um, but apparently it does. That it, I, and I did think it was funny. I'll just die if I don't get this recipe. I did think it was funny that um, Bobby thinks it's something in the water because of this Texas town yeah. that had something in the water. And so who do they go visit um, to get the water anal- analyzed? Anal- Analysized? Analyzed? 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 Analyzed, excuse me. Um only the person that she lost her virginity to. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, like, that's a lot. And in that scene, I don't know if you noticed this, but when he's showing the report to Joanna, he yeah. writes in handwriting, I'm not happy either. And he's, I think he's trying to say like, oh, if you're not happy in your relationship and I'm not happy in my oh, relationship, do you want to get she back together? Yeah. yeah. I do like the therapist too. Yeah, know, she comes, to she comes pretty, unfortunately she comes too late. It's too late yeah. in the end. It's just how it is. Um, I'm trying to think if there were some other things. Um, oh yeah. Bobby does change after their weekend at the plaza where, um, and, uh, she stabs Bobby. Um, but Bobby has no blood. I, I do like what, um, what, what Walter Eberhardt says. Why can't you understand her kitchen? Oh, no, no, no. Is that what he says? It's what she says. She's so Joanna is trying to tell her husband about what happened to Bobby. And she goes, why can't you understand? Her kitchen was sparkling. <laughs> I laughed. I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about when it's like the dark comedy parts. Like, yeah. that's impossible not to laugh at. One, one line that really, um, ooh, it kind of gut punched me. It was like, it was when she's talking to the therapist. Okay. And she says, if I'm wrong, I'm crazy. And if I'm wrong, it's yeah. even worse. Yeah. Right, right. And I was like, yeah. ooh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, I'm not wrong. Sorry. It's, I think, you know, we've said an awful lot about the movie and because it's a lot happens and there's a lot of details and there's a lot of stuff to pull out of it and and it's all really good. And um, one part that I just wanted to go circle back to really quick is with the husband, because the evolution of the husband is really, is really interesting because at the point at the beginning of the movie it seems like they really love each other that this is a like loving couple with agree. two kids and a dog and we're moving to this perfect place that's the danger and um but there's a, a night where she wakes up and he's not in bed and so she goes downstairs to check on him and he's sitting alone and by the fire drinking yeah. and you can just see in his face that he has done something yeah that he is sorry for yeah. or that he doesn't he doesn't know if it was right what he did. And it's that moment that you realize that he made a deal 
with those sure. with the men's association like and that's when it all starts but it's, it's just the way he acts in that moment i'm just like wow like you can see it like there is remorse there but by the end of the movie he's a total piece of shit he's a total piece of shit and the guy who runs the men's association when when she she's tricked into thinking her kids are being held captive at yeah. the men's society at the end and so joanna goes she knocks her husband out uh, and she goes to um find her kids and she's tricked by the men's association and the main guy she she asks him why are you doing this yeah and it's just like today because we can yep that's exactly. what he says yep and it just shows the power of like white straight men yeah. and the like the things that they can just brush under the rug yeah. or hide in a closet or get rid of someone and feel fine about it and feel fine about it that, that's what's the even more fucked up part about it so the end of the movie um joanna is um chased through the men's association into finally a room that essentially mimics her room at home yeah and her dog's there for some strange reason we, but yes, you know there it is um and sitting at her vanity or at the vanity at, in, the, in this room is a robot of her and when that robot turned around with those black eyes, yeah. it was freaky. It's it's scary. It freaked me out. It is. Because I, yeah. I expected her to turn around and just be like, beautiful yeah, like Joanna, sure. you know? But she got them black eyes. Yeah. And then we find out in the end, Joanna's dead. Yeah. He gets away with it because the, I mean, the end of the movie is this stupendous sequence where- In the store- each in sequence, each woman who was had been turned kind of says hello to each other, and then we follow that woman down the next aisle. She says hello to the next person. We follow that woman down the next until aisle until you get to until we get to Bobby, and Bobby goes down the last aisle, and there's Joanna, yep. a perfect Stepford wife, picking up like Jello or some shit. It was really sad. <laughs> it's a sad movie, I, but I think it's important, and it really like I don't know. I guess because not a lot of people talk about this movie. I was really taken aback by the ending. Yeah. I, I, so I didn't too. expect it. I uh, thought she was going to get away. I, I was uh, surprised to learn that uh, Brian Forbes wanted Diane Keaton to play the role of Joanna. Huh. Because uh, uh, what's her face? Catherine Ross looks so much like Diane Keaton. They look nearly alike. Um, and she turned down the role of Joanna the night before signing in her contract because her analyst got bad vibes from Weird. the script. Uh, Brian De Palma was also approached to direct in 1974. Oh, this would have been very different. Host yeah, <laughs> big time. However, the offer was rescinded when screenwriter William Goldman refused to work with him. And then, of course, Mary Stuart Masterson, daughter of Peter Masterson. This was her film debut, playing the daughter of uh, the Everhearts. Hmm. Good. That's some good trivia. Yeah. Um, so here at Friday the 13th, we rate on a seven stripe scale for the seven colors of the gay rainbow. The girls are rainbow. Uh, um, Maddie, out of seven stripes, what do you give the Stepford Wives? Give it a five. You know what? I'm going to come up a little bit. I was going to initially, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a 5.5. After we talked about it, I was like, I definitely it's, it's will watch a, this movie again. It's a great and movie. I really liked it. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to buy this on, on Blu-ray for so sure. I'll give it a 5.5. Maddie, what are your final takes on the stepford wives i said that it's a genius film ahead of its time uh, a shame the 2004 remake was just not good and i think that this film needs some more airtime for sure i said while it seems this could be a time capsule of the 1970s it still reflects a lot of the same issues we seem today we see today creepy endearing and the ending left my jaw on the ground wow well that was the stepford wives now take a break have your robot wife bring you in a drink 
And we're going to come back and talk about disturbing behavior. Gavin thinks some sinister force is taking over the Cradle Bay meatheads. In Cradle Bay, people are changing. Kelly Connor said she saw Andy Efkin bite the head off a kitten in a fit of rage. They're brainwashed, lobotomized, programmed. They used to be my friends. And the whole town is in on it. With every successive kid, we are getting closer to perfection. Except them. When I get there, they're waiting for me. Don't leave me alone like this! Gavin's a good boy now. There's no one to trust. Who's gonna believe you, huh? Your parents? You signed me up for the program? Nowhere to run. Will you go out with me? No. What No place to hide. I don't know where you live. Disturbing behavior. Well... Teacher, leave those kids alone, and you're going to need your fluids for this one, because we're here with disturbing behavior. Andrew, tell us all about it. In Cradle Bay, it doesn't matter if you're not perfect. You will be. Steve Clark is a newcomer in the town of Cradle Bay, and he quickly realizes that there's something odd about his high school classmates. The clique known as the Blue Ribbons are the eerie embodiment of academic excellence and clean living. But like the rest of the town, they're a little too perfect. When Steve's rebellious friend Gavin mysteriously joins their ranks, Steve searches for the truth with fellow misfit Rachel. Directed by David Nutter, written by Steve... Wow. Written by Scott Rosenberg. Production company was MGM. Steve is played by James Marsden. Rachel is played by Katie Holmes. Alan is played by Ethan Embry in a weird cameo role. Yeah, so fucking weird. <laughs> Gavin is played by Nick Stahl. Lindsay is played by Catherine Isabel, a very young Catherine Isabel. Very young. And Dr. Caldecott is played by Bruce Greenwood. I keep, I, I was like, is that Tom Skerritt again? <laughs> But I mean, I get why you think it's that. because he has the mustache. I get that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mr. Newberry is played by none other than William Sadler. Oh, he's so good in this too. Um, Rated R comes in at a swift eighty-four minutes. I had forgotten how short this movie is. Made in the USA, released on July twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-eight. Filmed in and around Vancouver and British, sorry, Vancouver, British Columbia, in California, Canada. Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you threw that yes. in there. Messed me up. Um, budget was $15 million. Gross was about $17.5 So probably just made its money back. And I was probably the... I was. I had 10 bucks in that. Yeah. I know I did. I know that I bought this on VHS. At oh, time, yeah. Oh, so. when I was a kid, I loved this movie. I mean, I, how old was I? Six, I was 16, I right. think. 17, maybe. Oh, my God. Loved it. What? Oh, so, so yeah. Well, I mean, tell me a little bit about your relationship with disturbing behavior. Um, the main reason why I wanted to see this movie so bad when it came out was because I knew that Harvey Danger, Flagpole Sitter, oh God, was in the soundtrack. And uh, I, when I was when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with that song. Like, I mean, I would I would listen to it over and over again. Funny enough, I was obsessed with the flies. Oh, the fly the flies are great too. But for some reason, I just love that song. And also, kids in high school would tell me that I looked like the lead singer of Harvey Danger. But like that was before the internet, yeah. and I, I couldn't even Google it. I was like, I look like the guy that sings this. I guess I don't know. <laughs> You gotta watch TRL to I guess. Like, but yeah, we oh we did and we definitely didn't have MTV in my house. Um but also like the movie's really good. Like James Marsden, number one, just so cute. Well, he's practically like, like thirty in this movie. Well, but teenager, whatever. But... but I mean like he's just so incredibly good looking. I love James Marsden in everything. He's even 
the awful version of the stand that just came out. I can even say that I like him there. He's very good looking and he has aged like a fine, fine wine. Oh, he is. I would eat every inch of him. Um, and I think it's a good story. Like, I, I think it's, I think it truly is disturbing. And I love the janitor role. One of my favorite roles. He's such a weird. Um, Dr. Caldecott is insanely evil. Um, the parents are stupid. I hate the parents. Well, the in this parents movie. are really absent in oh, this movie. The par- parents just suck in this fucking movie. Ethan Embry is there. Like you said, like what the fuck is that weird cameo? I- oh no! I bet we would know what it was if we ever got the director's cut of the film, yeah. which adds a half hour onto this, which is gone forever, by the way. I'm guessing that there is a deleted scene of James Marsden watching old family videos. Yes, and something. that's what that comes from. Something, because that is just a weird cameo to have Ethan Embry do. I don't yeah. know. Um, so, disturbing behavior for me, this fell perfectly in line with my, you know, what I was watching at the time. I mean, this is right around the same time as uh, Scream 2, right. the, faculty, the Faculty, like yeah. all these movies. So, of course, I saw Saw this i think i i can't remember if i saw it in the theater but if i didn't i definitely bought it which so. i just want to say too um because one of the trivia pieces is perfect one of the two films of the plot involving controlled teens right released in 98 that references pink floyd's another brick in the wall the other film the faculty and i think the faculty was much more successful yeah. i think that this one kind of was a little bit of a flop in the eyes of the mgm well this one's more serious yeah you know the 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 faculty is just more fun i guess yeah I guess I guess I could say you know that, what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think maybe maybe faculty just came out first. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're probably right because this came out in July. Faculty, I know we just did the faculty. Not faculty long ago, but... probably came out in like February. I bet somewhere in there. Yeah. I'd imagine. Oh, it was Christmas. I remember that. Oh, so then it came out after this. Yeah. Then okay. Anyway. Well, did that come out in '97? Um, maybe Boy, we're getting anyway, the, we're getting in the, we're getting in the here. Movie. <laughs> go ahead go ahead um so yeah I, I definitely watched this i definitely watched this many times i will say that it's probably been 15 years since i watched this movie so watching it um now i have a lot of questions because there yeah, are a ton of plot holes in this movie um, for, for me on those i just i try to just put them away I, I mean, I can still enjoy the movie by doing that, but if I'm going to do an analysis on the movie and we're going to, you know, rate it and everything, and I have anal, to, an analysis, I have to like ask these questions. He has to he he has to ask these questions for the analysis. I'm like I'm like Ace Ventura right now. I hate myself. I hate myself. Go ahead. Um, the opening credits are so strange. The music yes. the music actually contains a jump scare yeah like, yeah in, i know in, in the music in the train i'm sure like in the theater we were probably like oh <laughs> I, my god well, i did that last night because i didn't remember that it was like <laughs> <"Dun, dun."> like <laughs> <laughs> um but essentially this follows steve played by james marsden he is shipped off from chicago which i feel like in every movie these kids are always from chicago i know <laughs> in this era and it feels like where they go to cradle bay to me it felt like they were in either wisconsin Michigan or Minnesota. That's see, how it felt to see, me. See, for me, because I'm from there, no place looks like that. Yeah. So I just assumed it was like Vancouver or Seattle or like something along those lines. Because I think the town that they use for the set is used in a lot of other similarly set things. One of the one of the things I looked into was that the the it's they wanted it to be kind of they wanted it to feel like it was close to Chicago but far yeah. enough away. 
And they said that it was uh, either the North or the South Manitou Islands, both being in Lake Michigan. Yeah, I don't think people live on those islands. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, we you know we we follow him. He's new to the school, so uh, essentially we get the Mean Girls scene before Mean Girls in in the cafeteria, where Nick, which is brilliant. Where Nick Stahl's character is basically doing the same thing, uh-huh. uh huh. You know that uh, Mean Girls did, and he's like going around and introducing all the different That's groups of people. Mean Girls took it from this. Like, you think on. so? I I think so. Like, how could you not? I don't know. And um, it makes sense. I mean, it's it's an easy way of doing it. Yeah. Um, and he befriends this small group of misfits. Um, it's uh, him, UV, UV uh, Nick Rachel. Stahl's character, and then Rachel, who is Katie Holmes, who, I'm sorry, you can't just put a nose ring on Katie Holmes and she's punk. So... <laughs> But it's fine. You know what, though? She, <laughs> she, she does a fine job she in this tries, movie. She tries hard. Bless her. Um, I, I just... It, there's so many things in, Razor. in her choices that I'm... I'm like, why are you dancing in the back of your truck? Like, sexily. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. You, you know why? It's, it's because literally Katie Holmes didn't know what, what to do. <laughs> Katie Holmes would have never known what a person like that would actually do. Yeah, exactly. You know, because like, the thing is, like, Rachel... Those are girls that I grew up with. Yeah, like for probably you too. But like those are those were like those were my friends in yeah. high school. They were Rachel. Like, and they would have they would have never been like Katie Holmes yeah. ever. Period. And and please don't get me wrong. I I really like Katie. I Holmes. love Katie Holmes. There's actually a movie that I want to work in at some point of hers called Abandoned that I don't know. If oh you've ever yeah, seen. yeah, it's in Abandoned. But was uh, she necessarily right for this role? I don't think uh, so. I don't know. No, I mean I, she was the name that they needed. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so there's. We essentially follow them, and then um, Nick Stahl, who's kind of the resident um, philosopher. Which, yeah, but what would you what do you call it when there's like a? Never mind, I'll, I'll drop it. Um, <laughs> conspiracy theory. He's the resident. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. the resident conspiracy theorist. He thinks that the the main group of kids called the Blue Ribbons. He thinks that there's something more sinister going on. He can't prove it, right? But also near the beginning of the movie. He is witnesses, hiking with yeah. his dog, and he witnesses one of the really awful kids. I forget that one's name. Andy. Andy. Um, he witnesses Andy kill somebody, mm-hmm. one of the Blue Ribbon kids. He kills a girl after the girl gives him a blowjob because he thinks that she's a slut. And then he kills one of the cops that comes upon their car at that like lookout point or like you know make out corner or whatever. Yeah. Um, so he sees all of this happen, and then he just runs away. Um, so, I mean... That actually is one of the things about the movie that I guess is kind of a little wonky is like, I mean, what's the contract here? Yeah. (laughs) Nick Nick Stahl's character may be like kind of a, you know, a a punky hard ass, whatever, but also he's still a kid Yeah, and he saw something really traumatic happen and it doesn't seem to affect him all that much, quite frankly. Like he's kind of like normal after. Um, I will say about that lunch scene, I did clock it. That lunch scene's like... He barely gets to eat like a bite of his sandwich and lunch is over. <laughs> God, yeah. You know what? I miss some school lunches. Good lord, Ugh. Mexican pizza. Oh my god! I used to love to go to the soup bar. And we get... did not have that. Oh my god! We had the soup and salad bar. It was so awful. Like looking back at it, it's so gross. But I used to get the potato soup, and we would just load that fucker up with everything, like bacon and cheese and whatever. So gross. <laughs> I love a good it's salad disgusting. bar. Disgusting. Go ahead. Um. I did like the part, and I had forgot. I actually forgot kind of how violent this movie was. It's very, it's very violent. Like I didn't remember in that. a number of ways. Like it start, it opens up with a murder, right. two murders, yeah, and then like there are fights that are pretty vicious and brutal. Well, the kids, the, the one are I want to brutal. Ta- what I want to talk about is the grocery store. Oh my god! So um, the nose ring. 
Ch- Chug is his name. Chug. Um, I hate him. He's in line at the grocery store, and he's behind the person that I always accidentally get behind, who has like all the coupons yeah. and needs to write a check and like all this stuff. So, newsflash: <laughs> I am that person because I have coupons whenever I go to the store. Thank I hate you. you. I hate you. Good. Um, and then um, he also is triggered by Katie Holmes sexily hanging out by her truck because um, he has the thing for Katie Holmes. Um, there's one scene in particular we'll talk about that I want to highlight. Awful. Yeah. Um, but these kids are kind of just having like a they're being raucous in the background yeah. like other teenagers. And um, he just snaps and he grabs. So not not a nose ring that goes on the outside, it's, but it's, it's in your septum. In the septum, yeah. Um, he grabs it and rips it out and throws the kid across the room. I couldn't watch it when it happened. It so, I, could, I couldn't watch it. I, I, didn't, I didn't remember it. Oh, my God. It's brutal. Um, but yeah, there's like a, several scenes like that where... And there's a scene towards the end where um, James Marsden breaks out of the mental institution, yeah. not to bounce around too much, but... And he, when he hits, he hits all these people like these pipes, and he stabs a guy. Yeah. And it's just like I didn't remember all this blood in this movie. <laughs> and and I think it's good. I th- I think it's really well done. All of it. Um, it is. It's brutal to watch, but I think it's important for the story. And they don't shy away from it. Yeah. You know. I mean, let's jump straight to the end. Right. Well, there's one. I'm going to just talk about the Katie Holmes scene real, while we're at. Well, no, no. It. I'm just saying in terms of the brutality. Oh, okay. Because I mean. Oh, the, the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, and if, if, if people understand. Um, like the end is the kids going off the cliff. It's like, they don't even try to like save these kids or anything. They, they, they agree that like they can't be saved. So they just literally toss them off the cliff. The, and non, that's, the non-scientists agree. That's that what ha- right. I mean, that's what happens. And so like, I, that's just, that shows you the Kill kind everybody. of brutality that we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, a couple of scenes. Um, there's a scene where Katie Holmes is going to retrieve, um, what's left of Nick Stahl's stash in the yeah. boiler room. Cause that's kind of where he goes to like hang Cigarettes out and, and smoke else. or whatever. And she's confronted by Chug who asks her out. He basically says, like, will you go out with me? And she's and he's obviously really, he's really charming about it, too. And she's obviously repulsed by this idea. So she's just like, no, not ever. And he he has this moment. And I think it's in the preview that you heard on your way into this movie. But where he just he's like, why not? And he, and like, he freaks out and he like, also tries to grabs her. her boobs. Yeah. We forgot to talk about grabbing boobs in our last movie, too, because that was oh, real world. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I mean, he does it. He does it. He does it in this. And it's pretty creepy the janitor watches not really sure what to do yeah and we find out later on that the janitor is maybe not who he is playing to be oh yeah because he comes across as like the village idiot it's all a ruse yeah it's all a ruse and it takes him spotting slaughterhouse five to figure out that he's a genius which do you know the subtitle of slaughterhouse five i don't the children's crusade Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, in that moment, though, um, the janitor's rat machine, whatever. Yeah, it's is. like it's like a sonic device that yeah. is meant to like give a sound wave that scares rats. But we learn it tracks them. It tracks it. It, it but it also hurts these kids yeah. because their robot heads like can't take the frequency or whatever. Yeah, the microchip in their head probably is malfunctioning or something. Um, what sp- speaking of 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 that too of the janitor right and like these kids being robots. One of the the trivia things too that I thought was really great that somebody brought up the people that are at the polar opposite ends of this. Dr. Caldecott and Mr. Newberry, those are two children's literature awards. Huh. So that was a really interesting thing that they did and really smart in the script. And I don't know, like, because I, I don't, I, I can't remember much of what Scott Rosenberg has really done. I don't know, I don't know if you can, um, but like, that's a, that's smart writing. Yeah. And I actually do wonder, like, what else he wrote that is, that we need to investigate further. I don't know. 
Um, the other, the other scene I wanted to talk about, and it's kind of iconic. Like this is the scene that you think yeah. of when you watch this movie is when Lorna comes over to seduce Steve. I'm bad. I'm good. I'm not bad. I'm good. I'm bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does I, she say? What is it? She's, I, literally, that's what she's saying. She's like, I'm bad. I'm bad, but I'm good. I'm bad. Um, and I did not remember that there was nudity in this movie. Yeah. And I, because initially when rated R came up on my screen, I was like, Oh, I thought this was PG 13 for some reason. And now I know watching the movie, I'm like, no, it's definitely R. Um, but her scene where she hits her head on the mirror. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the thing for me. Anyway, that was the thing I always remembered about this movie. I'm like, Oh, this is the movie where the girl smashes her face in the, in the mirror. So yeah, I, I, that, 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 that scene is, um, is very disturbing and it's closely followed uh by when they take james marsden's character to go join the blue ribbons yep. in which the parents are basically like we just want you back and then they take him outside and he gets beat up and the parents are like gotta go bye and literally it's ridiculous james marsden doesn't do anything bad in this movie except yeah. for bring up his dead brother once he's just a teenager like that's <laughs> literally all that he is his parents just suck yeah they suck all the parents in this in movie this. suck I mean, just terrible fucking people. It did catch me off guard to see Catherine Isabel. I forgot that she was in this movie yeah. and so young because plus she plays the younger sister. Lindsay, um, I I'm was so excited for my new room. <laughs> Everything's going to be new. I was really thrown off by yogurt shop. Yogurt shoppy? Because I was like, no, it's an ice cream shop. It's not a yogurt shop. It's not, an ice cream shop. Not if it's frozen yogurt. <laughs> not in, in Cradle Bay. They wouldn't do ice cream. That's just too. Too much sugar. We do only frozen yogurt. <laughs> For what, what he says, like, I'm leaving it to you to make a culture joke here. Because, <laughs> like, like culture. Oh, get it now. That's <laughs> funny. Oh, God. I actually didn't even realize. <laughs> I hate myself today. I hate myself. Chuck is awful. <laughs> I, I like how um, at, when they're at the yogurt shop, Donka Shane is their preferred music. <laughs> It, it's it's a lot like, like i mean like in the it, it, like truly these poor kids getting made into robots like you know like especially when they they're show robots they're like mind control well they got the they got the thing the in chip, their head yeah. i mean they're kind of a robot but you know when they when they showed the the picture of um you know nick was like or not nick what's his name gavin gavin's like no look at this picture it's like all the kids party and they're all like they're like one of the kids is like hitting a pawn yeah <laughs> like i forget which one it was maybe it was trent or whatever trent was also kind of sexy there's a lot that. there's a lot of good looking people in this movie. Yeah, I mean James Marsden aside. Nick Stahl was looking a little weird back then, but um is Nick Stahl dead? I don't think so. He's not dead, is he? Um I thought Andy was cute. I thought Tr- cute. I thought Trent was cute. Yeah, Trent I thought the cute. blonde one was cute. Blonde I don't know cute. what his name was in this yeah. movie, but yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, no, lot I think, to choose I from think in you're this right. movie. I think you're right. Um they at one point in the movie go to the mental institution to try to figure out what's going on here because uh, that's where the doctor had worked previously. And this mental institution, let me tell you, these are the worst of the fucking worst. <laughs> The one guy that threw me off was the guy who couldn't stop flossing. Oh, that was really sad. It was really gross. And well, there was another guy that was also like he couldn't stop brushing his teeth. There's a different one. Like, I mean, what's with the dental? Oh, because they're trying to be good. Also, by the way, Nick Stahl is not dead. He's 41 years old. Great. Glad we could confirm that. Just wanted to let you know that, everybody. Um, for a minute, I thought he was dead. When I was watching this asylum, I was like, what the fuck is this place? Yeah. So, oh, I'm kind of getting what. So are all these people supposed to be like the ex specimens of him? Yeah, I, I think it was the experiments gone wrong. That makes a lot more sense yeah. now because his, his daughter was there too. Well, okay, 
one of the plot holes is filled. Thank you. Because I was like, why are all these people so fucked up? Well, you know me. I'm always here to fill a hole. <laughs> um, I did like her little um, mantra where she was like, meet the magical little creatures that hide among the flowers. I wrote that down too, <laughs> um, which which is kind of creepy. When which you, turns when you out hear to it. be his daughter. So he even experimented on his own daughter. So yeah. Dr. Caldecutt is a piece of and, garbage. And what did he say? He was like, yeah, there wasn't much to work with there. Or yeah. Like that. Like, I mean, he's just, and I'm glad that they did that scene because you really do realize there that he actually is, he's evil. Yeah. Like he's just a piece of shit. Like he doesn't even care about his own child. Yeah. He's awful. Um, <laughs> and his, his creation lives on as Gavin goes yeah, it's true. to another school at the end. I did think um, there's a part, I forget exactly when it happens, but there's a series of events where things are just going off the wall crazy, and somebody just finally goes, okay, what the fuck is going on seriously? Also, one of my notes that I, this is one of the best notes I've actually ever written for this show. A dirt bike with James Marsden. I need to masturbate. (laughs) That is what I wrote down. Ah, the M word makes it into another episode uh, of Fragging the Thirteenth. So good. So some good. Of the, some of the one liners. So good. Not great. Like when oh, he come on, they're awful. When he goes to drive off the cliff and he's like, Hey teacher, teacher leave those kids, kids alone. alone. I, mean, I kinda love it. And then when he gets ready to throw the um scientist guy Dr. Calica <laughs> off the cliff, he's like, Be the ball. I know. <laughs> Well, and Be the Ball gets mentioned once before in yeah. the movie, but, like, not enough to make that a thing. Not to make that the, the catch line. I mean, like, we don't need a Caddyshack reference in and here. And then he drives his motorcycle or dirt bike and... Off a fucking ramp! Lands it on the ferry and movie over. We yeah. don't get to see what happens with his parents. Yeah. We don't get to see what happens with Katie Holmes' parents. That is the downfall of this film. We don't and, We don't get to see the death of half yeah. of a town. And it sucks because, we, as we said earlier, there is, there is a director's cut yeah. that is lost. Yeah. We're never going to see it. And I really hate that. That's all I got to say. I think, that, uh, I think that fucking blows. I did also want to mention this is a lot of kids for an island town <laughs> in that in that high school. That is very true. <laughs> I don't know if you ever lived on an island, but there's not very many people that live there. <laughs> on the island, uh, we have an island in northern Michigan called Mackinac Island. Mackinac, and only about fifty people live there full time. I mean, uh, that's all that can live there because you're going to go crazy eventually. Well, it's a big tourist attraction. So in the summer, the population obviously yeah, they go increases away. a ton. Yeah. But anyway, um, I did think it was funny. One more last thing. Um, when they're trying to intimidate James Marsden, they slowly drive past with their Buick Regal. When I saw the Buick, <laughs> I was like, okay, I definitely knew three kids who got that car from their grandma. Yeah. I absolutely it's did. It's just like, wow, the intimidation is so real oh, here, yeah, boys. Yeah. And it, it was it was so different than like getting into your friends like Caprice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was a very different car back then. All right, Maddie, what do you give disturbing behavior uh, of seven stripes? I give it a five. It's it's a classic for me from my teenage years. I, I love the music in it. Love James Marsden. I don't know what else to say. It's, it gets a five for me. I gave it just a 4.5, just 0.5 lower it's than fun. you, just yeah. because of there's so many plot holes. I, I think that maybe if we did I, ever I get, get to that. see that, that director's cut, maybe some of those could be remedied. Hey, but Maybe one day... One day it'll turn up. Who knows? What, what's your final takeaway from it? Uh, let me see in my notes here. 
My final takeaway, um, an intriguing take on the mind control genre that is meaner than I remembered. Mm. And mainly that was because I didn't remember that all the kids died at the end. Yeah. Um, I truly feel this movie was given, if this movie is given a little more room to breathe, it could be great. It has a ton of plot holes at the end, but it was still fun to rewatch. Yeah. And I said, I really love this movie. Fantastic view into 90s high school and an awesome exploration of individualism. Yeah. So that will do it. For disturbing behavior. Now, if you just give us a moment to recollect our junk, adjust it in our pants, we're going to come back with our final segment, which is, tell them what it is. Queer Eye for the Horror Guy. And we're back and ready to close out episode 52 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. And today we are playing a little game called Queer Eye for the Horror Guy. Queer Eye for the Horror Guy. (laughs) Can you record that for me and we'll use it for the transition? Actually, yeah, we will do that. (laughs) Sure. Queer Eye for the Horror Guy. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, let's try it. Um, Anyways. Anyway, this is where we take the movies that we reviewed in our episode and make them a little queerer. Yeah. So I will take the Stepford Wives, and I think it would have been very interesting if Bobby would have been a lesbian. See, actually, I think that really works. Yeah. That really that would have worked in the entire plot if that had been the case. Because then she could have maybe like a sexual tension with Joanna, but there's also like a lesbian angle in the seventies with women's lib. I actually think that that's a better idea. Let's remember that. Epic pictures. Did you just did you just hear that? For the reboot that we're gonna do? Got yeah. it. Okay, good. So Patrick, we'll talk about that later. Um I have disturbing behavior. Now what I'd like to see in this film is if James Marsden is gay. <laughs> of course you do. And and really, though, okay, I actually think it works if you think about it. Like, he doesn't have to be straight in this. There's no reason for it. He doesn't have to be the love interest of Rachel. They can just be best friends. They're not even really that romantic They're, together until like, the very end. They kiss at the end, and I'm kind of like, why are you kissing her? Like, I thought you were friends. Like, what's the point of this? Yeah. And also, like, I just think it would be great if he was gay. Would you make Nick Stahl's character gay as well, then? And they kind of have, like, a romance, and then it's yeah. even... And at one point, they hook up. And it's even more, um, what do you call it? It's even more devastating when he becomes part of the Blue Ribbons. Because he's going to remember all the times that they hooked up and the things that they did. If I'm going to watch that, we're going to need to do some swapping of casting. But that's cool. But I mean, the things that they did. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Anyways, friends, guess what? That's the end of episode 52. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, we've got some things to talk about here. First off, uh, as you already know, we are proud members of the Dread Podcast Network. So we just love being on Dread Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you all about it. We're on the network with Kim and Ket, Stay Alive, maybe. We're on the network with the Boulay Brothers. They're, uh, what's their podcast called? Duh? Creatures of the Creatures Night. Creatures of the Night, hello. Uh, with Guts. And there's more coming to this uh, They actually too. just announced a new one this week. Uh, it is called Development Hell. Oh, my God. And it is all about movies that never got made because of all of the development process. So listen, Dread Podcast Network is growing. We're yeah. gonna, we are going to take over every podcast 
All of them. So get ready. Well, only the good ones. Only the good <laughs> ones. But we're going to take the bad ones and eat them. Um, we also have a hotline. You remember this. You can call the hotline at 872-208-3119 and leave us a message with whatever you like. You have approximately seven more episodes to get those in. Yeah. So, so that's listen, that's plenty of fucking time. But don't delay. Call today. <laughs> don't delay. Call now. <laughs> did you read the number? I didn't. wasn't listening. Yes, I did. I did. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a little loopy by the end here. Yeah, we do. Um, Want to support Friday the 13th? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, it is now easier than ever yes. to support Friday the 13th. We don't have all these crazy uh, hyperlinks and everything. Yeah. All you have to do is go to Friday13.com slash support. Oh my God. And there is literally all the ways you can support us uh, in even, one place. It's I can't even believe. It's so easy. I can't believe that's, that's a thing now. It's amazing. <laughs> so easy. Um, no new patrons this month or week or episode. Whatever. <laughs> So uh, you too can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, and that just helps us put more money back into the show. And, um, hey, Andrew, did you know that I figured out how long it takes us to create one episode? Yes, I did. Do you know how long it takes? Twenty-four hours it takes about twenty-four hours times two, my friends, because there's two of us. So that's a lot of time. We do it because we love it. But boy, would we love your help in doing it. Yeah. And that can be as simple as leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, I think it's all you got to do. We're at 320. We want more. Come on. Give us your love. Yeah. This is free to do. And I'm also thinking of that, too. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. It's the same handle, at Frygay13. That's Frygay13. And also search for us on Facebook. You already know our website. And friends, listen, that's really all I have to say except for you better go out and get slayed. slayed.